we want to very intentionally uh, do what we have just sung from the heart. We want to join the rest of creation in bowing before you. You are amazing. You're a wonderful Savior. You're a good Lord. You're a good, good Father. Lord, we're here in your presence today. We know that we're, because of Jesus and your mercy to us, we belong to you, and we know that we belong together. So we've come together in Jesus' name. Lord, meet each one of us. You know exactly where we are. You know better than we know what we need. Uh, Lord, some are feeling particularly fragile, broken. Some are at a crossroad, and some matter in their lives or their family. Lord, we all need to be in your presence. We all need to hear from you. Thank you that you've given us your word. You've not left us as if we uh, were orphans. and We had no father, and we had no father who would speak to us. So speak to us. We are your sons and your daughters. Speak to us, for your servants are listening. Lord, help us to take your word into our hearts and to, to think about it, pray about it, talk about it, walk it out, that we might be changed by your word from the inside out. Come, Holy Spirit, and make the word of God alive and real in our lives. Show us Jesus. That will be more than enough for us. We ask in his name. This is the second in a series of seven sermons on what it means to be a church family and what it means to be a church family in mission together. So we're calling this series Our Identity in Mission. Our Identity in Mission. We talked about the identity part last week. We're going to talk more about the mission part this week. But it raises the questions, who are we and what are we called to do together in mission. We've recently, as a church, uh, drafted some new vision and mission statements, and you'll see that mission statement up on the screen. I'm going to read it, and I'll just invite you, if you would like to, to just read out loud, read along with me uh, from the top left side, our mission. As a family following Jesus in the city, we commit ourselves, one, to worship God as one, with the voices of the nations, two, to walk together in repentance, faith, and obedience, three, to seek gospel-driven transformation through God's word, four, to extend God's care in practical ways to restore the whole person, and five, to invite the broken everywhere into relationship with the God who loves them. That's a summary of what we believe God is calling us to do together as his family in this time and this place. So let's jump into it. Where shall we start today? Let's start today by simply noting, when you, as you think about who we are, uh, let's start by noting that we have become the kind of people who come to church. That much is clear because you're here today. Here we are. Maybe it wasn't always that way for you. Maybe it's been that way for most of your life. But here we are, 
we may come here for various reasons, all kinds of different reasons, but we're here. We're here. That much is clear. And to me, that means at the very least that we want to know what God has to do with our lives. And hopefully it also means we want to know what our lives have to do with God. So this suggests that you are the kind of people who take your lives very seriously. You're not just flying through. You're not just floating through. You want to know what God has to do with your life and what your life has to do with God. You know, this is why we work hard at our jobs. We try to meet our commitments, pay our bills, provide for our families, uh, give to those who are hurting, in need. And maybe that's all a way of saying that it's become important to us. We want to use these lives that God has given to us, these fleeting years on this earth. They go by so quickly, don't they? But we want to use them to do something of value, something good with our lives for the glory of God in this earth. So our culture has taught us that if we want to do something good in life, if we want to do well in life, we have to make some plans. We can't get anywhere without some planning. I want us to think about this a little bit. Uh, I think most of us do not have what I would call grand scheme plans. You know, do you have a 40-year plan? Do you have a 50-year plan? Most of us don't have those kinds of plans. Maybe we did at one time and it wasn't going too well. Uh, But I think most of us do have Uh, some plans for the next step, the next stage of life, whatever that might be. So let's say, for example, okay, we plan to go to college. And then we plan to graduate, hopefully. That's part of the plan. After that, maybe we plan to go on for further study or we plan to get a job. If we don't like the job or the job doesn't work out, we plan to move from that job to another job hopefully a better job. Uh, If we fall in love, well, we make some plans to get married. And then maybe we start making some plans for having and raising a family. If we don't get married, we, we make plans to devote ourselves to developing our careers to the best of our ability. And the years roll by. The years roll by. And as you roll into our 60s, as has happened with me in our culture, uh, one of the things that happens is you start thinking about your plan for the next stage, for retirement. Maybe you make plans either for, you know, renovating the house you're in so you can age in place, or maybe for selling the house and downsizing a bit, something more manageable, or maybe finding a place uh, that will care for you during your years of declining health. And you know how it goes. You make a plan. So if plan A fails, what do we do? Well, we move to plan B, or maybe plan C, or maybe plan D. And some of us have moved all the way through the alphabet, and we've circled back around, and we're on double letters now, plan double A. And that's okay. Really, that's okay, because we keep moving. We keep pondering. We keep trying. And we really don't know how to get to the next place in life without some kind of plan. 
Now, the point of my sermon today is not to discourage us from making plans. My point is for us to lift our eyes from our plans and ponder God's plans. I want us to lift our eyes and ponder God's plans for our lives as members of his household members of the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, all the different words you see up on the screen. Those things are all true because of God's plan. God had a plan from all eternity. And we need to lift our eyes to think about those plans, to look at those plans, because God's plans, well, they're way above us. They're just awesome. And they're often mysterious, aren't they? And they really call us into the biggest adventure in life. If God is at the center, if God is in the mix, then you need to plan for adventure, because God does that. (laughs) He's a God of great adventures. How many times have you found yourself somewhere where you never thought you'd be? Plan for adventure. God's in the mix. God's in charge. That's why we're calling this message, Plan for Adventure. We're going to look at the book of Acts. That's our text from today. It comes from the New Testament book called The Acts of the Apostles. It's actually the second volume of Luke's writings. Uh, the first volume is called The Gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And if you've been around a little bit, you know we've been slowly, very slowly, preaching our way through Luke's gospel for a couple of years now. It's rich. It's a lot to chew chew on, isn't it? And uh, we're taking a break from it this fall to focus on our church's new vision and mission and motto. We're going to return to the Gospel of Luke in February of the new year. But as you may recall, Luke in his Gospel describes Jesus' birth, and then in great detail he goes into a description of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to step back into Luke at the point where it begins to tell us about Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection from a grave. So we're going to jump in there. So the second volume of Luke's writings is called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And it's still all about Jesus. The book of Acts is all about Jesus, but it's really about Jesus' plan to bring his salvation to all of the earth that there's going to be no corner of the earth that is untouched by the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make you a part of that mission. So the, the book of Acts is all about the mission of Jesus, the continuing mission of Jesus and, and how he wants to make you and me, all of us, all of God's people, a part of the great mission of Jesus Christ, the greatest adventure of them all. So let's look at Acts 1. We'll just read a few verses at the beginning of the book. Uh, Acts 1, beginning in verse 1. Follow along as I read. This is the word of God. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Plan for adventure. That sounds like a pretty great adventure that Jesus is describing is going to get started. So Luke begins this second volume of his writings by essentially saying, Dear Theophilus, Theophilus is also the person to whom Luke addressed his gospel. We don't really know a thing about Theophilus. This is all we know. He had two books addressed to him in the Bible. But we don't know anything else about him. Uh, in, in his first volume, Luke calls him most excellent Theophilus. So Luke obviously thought highly of this man. And that has led some commentators to speculate that maybe he was an official in the government. We don't know. If he was, he was not very high-ranking or well-known because history does not mention him anywhere. And so that makes me think, I wonder, maybe he's supposed to be anonymous. You know what his name means? It means one who loves God. So Luke is addressing his two volumes, the Gospel and the Acts. He's addressing it to a man who loves God. This is a man, obviously, who has come to know the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to know that he's been loved by God. And he's become a lover of God in return. So maybe it's good that he's anonymous because that means Theophilus could be anyone who has that desire. I mean, he could be you. You have a desire to love God, the God who has loved you first in Jesus Christ. Well, this is for you then. This is for you. Like the Theophilus we meet again here in Acts, uh, you have already heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know the story, at least big parts of it, right? And so perhaps you're not surprised anymore to hear about the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus Christ, or the miracles he performed in healing the sick and feeding the hungry, uh, the passion of the cross, uh, or that startling surprise on Easter morning that perhaps is, is not so startling to you anymore. And maybe you have long wondered, you started a while ago to wonder, and you've long wondered what all that has to do with you. What does all of that have to do with you? You're here today. Here we are. But tomorrow will be different in a lot of ways, won't it? Tomorrow you have a job or a class or a home or a family to which you need to give your attention and your energy. Uh, there's still a mortgage or the rent to pay. There, there are choices to be made, relationships to maintain, new plans to develop if you're going to overcome those obstacles that you're facing right now in your life, uh, in your home. So what does the story of Jesus have to do with the story of you? What does the story of Jesus have to do with the story of you? This is the question Luke wants to answer. As he writes his second volume that we're calling Acts, it, 
That's the question. What does the story of Jesus have to do with the story of you? Because Luke was about what Jesus began to do. Acts, by implication, is what Jesus continues to do. So that's the question he wants to answer. And it's striking to me that in the opening words of the book of Acts, Jesus is quoted by Luke as saying to his followers, John baptized, verse 5, with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying something radical, a great adventure is going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes, and it's going to start right where you are, and it's just going to be like ripples in a pond out from there, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's going to be, you know, amazing. And this is how your part of the story starts. This is how your part of the story starts. In the next chapter in Acts, that... That is what happened. What Jesus said, that's what happened to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And it's what happens to every one of us in the chapter of our lives where we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we begin to follow him as the Lord of our lives. What happens? We trust in Jesus. We're immediately adopted into the Father's family. And we're launched into God's mission immediately. So I want you to think about that. When you receive Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive a lot. You receive full forgiveness of your sin. Uh, You receive God's spirit to live within you. You receive God's family within which you will live. And you receive God's mission, gospel mission, in which you get to partake. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is that God would include me? That he would include you and that he would give you all of that? It's just astonishing. That's the grace of God. As I mentioned last week, John the Baptist's baptism was all about uh, cleansing and purifying and trying to wash away sin which from one angle you could say it's just another religious plan or spiritual plan for getting our lives into the right place, getting our identity squared away you know, before God. But by contrast, Christian baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ. That's what Christian baptism does. It identifies us with Christ in his death down into baptism, down into the waters of baptism. And it identifies us with his life, up to eternal life. It's a beautiful picture. We're identified with Jesus Christ, and we're declared to be beloved sons and daughters of God in him. We talked all about that last week as we looked at the baptism of Jesus Christ and the declaration, he's the beloved son of the Father. And When we're linked to Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, we're in union with Jesus Christ through faith, wow, we become beloved sons and beloved daughters in the beloved one. Yeah, that's who you are. That's who we are. 
So today we discover that this, this also gives us not just that identity, but it gives us the Holy Spirit. God does not, you know, withhold giving the Holy Spirit to any of his children. It's a wonderful gift, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you might recall, it descended upon Jesus at his baptism. It was like, came in the form of a dove. It just was like blown there by the wind from heaven. And it's the Holy Spirit who is now at work in our lives and in our church family. This was always God's plan. And you can see it from the very opening words of the Bible. The role of God's Spirit in everything that was going to happen. In the opening words of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 2, we're told that it's this same Holy Spirit. The Hebrew word is ruach, and it means spirit or wind or breath. You know, it's, it's the Spirit of God. It's the wind of God that was hovering over the waters at creation, uh, blowing aside the, the deep darkness that's mentioned there, just the chaos of that, creating light and beauty and truth in its place. The, the Spirit, the breath, the wind of God was hovering over the waters at creation. What Think, think a few... Uh, A few uh, millennia after that, hundreds of years, whatever your view of creation is in the time frame. But think when the Hebrews then were leaving um, Egypt. And they came to the Red Sea, and they needed to get across that sea, or they were going to be killed right there in the desert. And they couldn't get across. They were trying to leave slavery behind. God had called them out of slavery. And they were embarking into a great unknown future. And it was again... The wind, the ruach, the breath, the spirit of God who helped them in that time, who parted the waters of that sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. That was a supernatural wind that had never been seen before. That was the wind of God blowing from heaven. So this is the same Holy Spirit that blew down like a mighty wind from heaven upon the disciples at Pentecost. Uh, We read there that the blowing of a violent wind, that's a big wind, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. That was the Holy Spirit. And the result was the church was created. The church family was formed. From many nations came one church, the church of Jesus Christ. It's the same Holy Spirit that is poured down upon us and represented at our own baptism. That's why I'm reminding you about your own baptism and encouraging you to remember the baptism of Jesus Christ because those are so symbolic. We can see it. We can remember it. And it it tells us who we are. And it tells us about the work of God much we need the Holy Spirit. As all creation experienced when the grace of, of God, the light, the beauty was just pushing away the darkness and the chaos. And, and as the Hebrews uh, who ventured out into that unknown wilderness experienced after the Holy Spirit, the wind of God parted the Red Sea, well, so does the Spirit of God move across the waters of 
our baptisms into Christ and into his family. So this Spirit of God, as Jesus said, the Spirit blows where he will. You can't control the wind. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God then leads us into a great adventure. It's a great, uncontrollable, unplannable, at least by us, it's all part of God's plan, but unplannable, adventurous future. So that is still what creates our life. We have no life apart from the Spirit of God breathing the life of God into us when we trust in Christ. That's still what creates our life. It's what creates our life together as a church family, the church was not born until the Holy Spirit was poured out that day, just like on the first day of creation. So life and mission, I would submit to you, is not really what we plan. Uh, it, it is what happens by the Spirit's plan. And really, isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, who among us is living exactly the life we planned for ourselves 20 years ago? Are you, are you right where you thought you'd be 20 years ago <laughs> or 10 years ago or five years ago or two months ago? I mean, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform, does he not? So life is this continual adventure of God among us. It's, it's a continual kind of experience of the surprises of God, of all kinds of God moments. And sometimes we see them and sometimes we miss them. But maybe you'll see something that I'll miss. And that's why we belong together. We need to speak to one another about the wonders of God that we see. So life is not what we create on our own for ourselves. Rather, life is really shaped by our responses to the unforeseen work of God's Spirit that makes us His and that makes us one in Him. You know, I cannot tell you how many times I have officiated at funerals or memorial services, listening to the eulogies provided by those who knew and loved the deceased. Now, over the years, I've learned that all of the eulogies have some things in common. When the day comes that you die, I can pretty much predict that no one is going to stand up and describe how successful you were with your many plans for your life. We think we got to do that, but it's really not what people will remember. It's not what they will talk about. No, they're going to describe how God helped you. How God helped you to handle the darkness and the chaos when it came to your life. They're going to talk about the values that were at the the core of who you were. Um, They're going to talk about who you loved and how you loved. They're going to talk about the glimpses of heaven, whether they use that word or not. They're going to talk about the glimpses of heaven that they got through your life. Because you went through life praying, as we did earlier today, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth, right here, right now, in my life, as it is in heaven. 
And as God answers that prayer, people see it. And that's what they were talking about. And all of those gifts will be the result of the Holy Spirit. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit in you and in me and in us. All of those are gifts. They're the result of the Holy Spirit who is at work within you, making you a Jesus person and part of the Jesus family. Sometimes I know you can't see it in yourself. You can't feel it about yourself. That's why we belong together, because others can see it. They can encourage you when you don't have any way of finding encouragement in yourself. The Holy Spirit is at work to make you a Jesus person and part of the Jesus family. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. So as I mentioned earlier, the tradition has given this fifth book of the New Testament the title, The Acts of the Apostles. But from the very first chapter, it's quite clear. Are you seeing it? That the apostles are not the primary actors. What happened after Jesus ascended into heaven? Still thinking of themselves as the 12 disciples who have so many plans. You remember in the Gospels, they always have great plans for Jesus. And sometimes they have good plans for themselves, what we ought to do next. So... They were left on their own after Jesus ascended into heaven and before they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Jesus said, I don't want you to go anywhere. Just wait. Just wait for the gift that my Father has promised you. Just wait. Well, they did what probably many of us would do. They came up with some new plans. I don't know about you, but it's so hard to just wait, pray, and wait for God, wait for him to act, hard, so hard to do. You read further into the first chapter of Acts, you discover that their first concern becomes what they should do about the fact that there were no longer 12 of them. There were always 12 disciples following Jesus. You know, it's like we've always been the 12. But you know, that unfortunate debacle with Judas, we're now only 11. We've got to do something about I think we need to elect a new apostle to fill this vacancy. So, they've been praying, and they they have a nominating process, which was a good plan. Um, they came up with two candidates. That's also a good idea. And then they had their own kind of election process, and, and that was a good thing. And a man named Matthias is elected to fill the vacancy, to be the new 12th disciple. Uh, And after that, Matthias is never heard of again. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what to make of that. (laughs) But it's pretty humbling. So about the time that the clerk of the apostolic session gets Matthias' name written into the list of apostles, the Holy Spirit arrives. (laughs) The Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples, and everything changes. Uh, These men become literally on fire. It says that that flames of fire came to rest upon them, and there was the blowing of a violent wind from heaven. The Holy Spirit was arriving. And this mighty wind of God's Spirit, it blew them right out of the upper room. They couldn't stay there anymore. It blew them right out of the upper room, right out into mission 
together, right out into a world that was just waiting and dying for some good news. Have you got any good news for us? Well, yes, we do, actually. God has sent a Savior named Jesus, and he died on a cross to carry our sins away and pay the price. And not only that, but he beat death. The enemy none of us can beat. He rose from the dead. And he said he would give eternal life to anybody who trusts in him. Yeah, we've got some good news. (laughs) We've got some good news, folks. And the Holy Spirit, he's so excited that, you know, fire breaks out. (laughs) You know, this violent wind comes from heaven. It's not like God is saying, okay, I guess we've reached the next part of the plan. No, this is like exciting adventure. What drama. Just like Jesus said. And just as the church began with that kind of drama, so did it continue. It's very interesting that the term disciples kind of drops away from these men. And now they become known as, what we know them as, the apostles. What's the difference? Well, apostles, that word means sent ones. You've been sent. You're a sent one. You don't send yourself. You get sent by someone else. You've been sent somewhere to someone by the Holy Spirit. Sent one. So now you get back to the name of this book, Acts of the Apostles. Well, actually, some of the most exciting chapters of the gospel story that continues from this point on are not even about the 12 apostles. They're all about Ordinary people like me and like you. Ordinary people who are filled, equipped, sent, and used by the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to read about all kinds of people doing all kinds of ministry in the book of Acts. The Acts is about the works of the Holy Spirit through the people of God. Carrying Jesus to the world. It's an amazing story. So look what happens in the book of Acts. Quick summary. Chapter 6, Stephen begins to preach. Chapter 8, Philip becomes an evangelist. Chapter 9, an up-and-coming leader named Saul gets into the mix. And we read about a man named Barnabas who takes this man, Saul, who was a persecutor of the church... He was making it his job to do away with Christians. Well, Barnabas takes Saul under his wing and helps him to become Paul and and helps him to become part of the, the church family and soon a leader, an actual leader in the church of Jesus Christ. So, by the way, I I think we should at least notice that Paul was God's choice to fill the vacancy of the twelfth apostle. And it is rather humbling, because here here he is, right? It's rather humbling because Paul is a man we would never choose. The church was scared to death of him. Barnabas said, I'll get next to you. Come on with me. Let's talk. Pretty soon, Paul is is an apostle, a sent one by the Holy Spirit. It's like the Lord was saying, I told you guys to wait on that, that apostle thing. So hard to wait. We, we, you know, we're afraid God's going to mess up if we don't come up with a plan. That's all very humble. 
In the book of Acts, we meet an Ethiopian eunuch who's riding in his chariot, and and he's on his way back to the continent of Africa, but he's really on his way to taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into his own heart and into the heart of his country. He's going to carry that gospel of Jesus Christ into his own life and into the life of his nation. Then in chapter 9, another astonishing thing. This is an adventure you just couldn't chart. You could only try to keep up, try to record it, you know, which is what Luke does. In chapter 9, another astonishing thing happens. The first woman's name is mentioned in a mission contract. Dorcas, the seamstress. Soon to be followed by Lydia, the church planter. Priscilla, the teacher. Philip's daughters prophesying God's truth. You see what's happening here. From now on, gospel mission would be in the hands of the people of God. All the people of God. You, me, us, together. We are, we are the sent ones. We are the sent ones sent by the Holy Spirit with the good news of Jesus Christ. You are a sent one. So I was thinking about that. It just it reminded me of 33 years ago. You know, we celebrated a church anniversary uh, earlier this month. And 33 years ago, some of us were the sent ones. We were sent by the first New Life Church to plant another, the second New Life Church in this region. And so they sent our family and some of you. And I was a young man, and Shelley was a young woman. And we had at that time three little boys. They were one, three, and five years old. Were we in over our heads? Yes. Did we know what we were doing? No. (laughs) Here we are today by the grace of God. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He sends us out and he says, don't worry about it, I'm going with you. We forget that so easily. He might send you across the ocean. But then again, he might send you someplace that's even harder, and that's across the street. He might send you into your workplace, into your school. He sends you, he sends us all kinds of places, and we go as the sent ones. I think perhaps most earth-shaking of all in the book of Acts, in chapter 10, and we we preached on this a couple weeks ago, we meet this Roman centurion uh, named Cornelius, Cornelius. Cornelius serves the Caesar, right? He's a Roman centurion. Well, Cornelius comes to serve a new commander whose name is Jesus Christ. He didn't really see that coming. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jewish man. And we watch in Acts 10 as Gentiles come to believe in Jesus as Lord. Peter is sent to preach to them. Again, the Holy Spirit sends him. And he's going to preach to Gentiles. And Peter says, I don't, I don't think you want to do that, Lord. <laughs> Have you ever said that to God? I don't think you want to do that, Lord. Well, I think he does want to do it. And we'll get, he'll, he'll get us there. And that's what he does with Peter. And so Peter preaches, and they believe. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter baptizes them. And we just need to remember up to that point that the church was composed mainly of Jewish Christians. But, and it never occurred to them that the Holy Spirit would fill the hearts of Gentiles, of the nations. 
it never occurred to them that God's family would be made up of people from all nations on earth. That God so loved the world. So they had to adjust their plans. They had to adjust their expectations to the new thing the Spirit of God was doing, the new family the Spirit of God was creating, the new adventure that God was charting for this new family of God. And it would forever transform the identity and the mission of the people of God, the church, starting with that first church, this church, every church, were transformed forever because of that. And I think it's striking that God did that through the unexpected Gentile, that one man, Cornelius. There wasn't what Peter expected. There's so many things in our lives that come and we don't expect them. I would like to submit, let's start to wrap this up. Um, I would like to submit to you that in each of our lives there is a Gentile. And what I mean by that is an outsider, somebody unexpected, a stranger, somebody or something that the Holy Spirit wants to use to transform you. This Gentile appears as something you cannot control, as somebody you cannot control. It may take you to a place you would rather not go. It may give you a gift you would rather not receive. It may connect you to people, family, church members that you would rather not be connected to or related to. But this is what God always does. He says, it's my family. It's my family. And I'm inviting you into it. And you can't decide who else gets invited into it. That's what God always does. And he does it to show us how much we need him and how much he is in charge. None of us is in charge. He is. And to remind us that we are not our own. We are his. And we are ours. We belong to him. We belong together. Sometimes, sometimes the Gentile, so to speak, is welcome. Like when you fall in love. But sometimes the outsider is unwanted because it's some kind of a loss. Maybe it's an illness or a disease or something that's forced upon you a job change or a geographic move. It's not something you were expecting. It's not something you understand. It's a Gentile to you. It's a stranger. It's an outsider. It often entails some kind of interruption in what we're doing or what we want to do, right? At work, at home, with your health, in your church. And you might think that this, this Gentile person or thing is going to mess everything up. We just know it's going to mess everything up. Right? But the Holy Spirit, from day one, the Holy Spirit is always at work in the good days and the hard days, always moving across the waters of the deep, the darkness, the chaotic things, to create the beauty of God, the light of God in its place. 
does that in your life. He does that in your home. He does it in the church. That's what our gospel mission is all about. It's not smooth sailing, but it is the mission of God. So in the words of the Apostle Paul, wherever you may be today, you may think to yourself, I'm ready, man. I'm ready for whatever God has for me next, wherever he wants to send me, whatever he... And that's great. But you might be saying, i got to get out of here as quick as I can because I'm so not ready. It doesn't really matter where you are on this. It's really just important to be honest about it and to realize that you're a sent one. You've got an identity now in Christ. and you, Your life... And our mission, it's powered by the Holy Spirit, not by us. That's the really good news. And so in the words of the Apostle Paul, just remember that, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's God's promise. Sometimes we feel like we're not going to make it. We can't do anything, you know, as a family, as an individual, as a church. God says, just hold, you know, just, just walk with me. Because I'm with you, and I'm sending you, and I'm equipping you for everywhere, anywhere I ever send you. And I will finish that work. God always finishes what he starts. That's the plan of the Holy Spirit. It began at creation, was pledged to you. If you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit was pledged to you. This was pledged that God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are with you and will finish what they've begun in your life. And they'll use this, the strange things and the, the things that we don't expect or understand. That's part of the mix, folks. Or else we get the impression that we are in charge of everything. We can make it just like we want it. And do we really need God all that much? This was pledged to you in your baptism. It's going to come to fruition as you're realizing why you're here. Why are you placed on this earth? To be part of Jesus' great family and Jesus' great mission of bringing heaven to earth until that day when earth is swallowed up in heaven. So fasten your seatbelt. I encourage you to strap in. It's an adventure. God is not done with you. He's not done with us. God is not done with this high, holy, and sometimes wild adventure called your life, your church, and our mission. Amen?